I want to welcome you this morning, whether you're with us in the room or whether you're joining us from a distance. We're grateful that we can be worshiping together, however we can make that work. So today, as we enter into a time of worship, let's enter into it with a, an attitude of thanksgiving, because we're here, and we're able to be together in some small measure, and the Lord continues to make His face known to us. So, let's pray. Father, in this time, we are acutely aware of the things that we need from you. And we're acutely aware that there are things that have brought new anxieties to us, for ourselves, for our children, for other family members, for our community, and for our nation. We have all confidence in the world that you are more than able to see us through this and enable us to take positive action and to be the kind of people that you have purposed us to be. So now, may our time of worship be a time in which your purposes are even further enabled because we have been obedient and coming together before you in worship. We give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you're here with us and you haven't been with us before, you have got a card in front of the seat in front of you. We'd sure like you to fill that out uh, so we can have record of your visit. And if you are joining us and haven't yet given us um, your information uh, online, please go to our website and make that happen as well. Uh, this Tuesday night, I'm going to be, uh, we finished the study of Deuteronomy and we're going to begin um, in our virtual Bible class on Tuesday night, we're going to begin a study of the Gospel of John. So join us for that 12 or 13 week um, study. I promise not to get more long-winded in 13 weeks, okay? Maybe I, should, maybe I shouldn't, well, I'll try to hold myself to that, okay? Join us at 6.30 for prayer time. Uh, we'll be praying together and then moving into Bible study. Also, the Restore Network wants us to know that they are in need of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups during the month of September. Uh, there will be a bin in the foyer for you to make those deposits. And I was advised, I, I, I think we would know this, but I was advised to let you know that they would like those to be new. So, would you stand and join me as we read together Psalm 57, 1 to 3. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. 
for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the destroying storms pass by. I cry to God Most High, the God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample on me. God will send forth His steadfast love and His faithfulness. And all God's people said to that, Amen. Let's sing. That should get you ready to worship. I mean, I, if you don't know this about preachers, then you just haven't been paying any attention. We really think the music is to get ready for the sermon. It's really all should be a part of worship, but somehow that's how our minds work. So thanks, because you, you achieve both. Today's going to be a little bit different. I'm taking a bit of a risk and stepping outside of a role that I normally have. Because today, um, and, and I'm, I'm happy my son's here, but if his wife were here, she, I, I would probably not do this. I'd probably change on the spot. She's an English teacher, and I'm about to provide a literary critic, a book review, as it were. So I'm going to invite you to open to the book of Ruth and keep it open. Because I've had a hard time this week trying to figure out what I should comment on and what I should just read. I have never witnessed and seen things in this book that I've been able to observe this week. And I know it's because of our context. And if you aren't in love with Bible study, it's because you're not paying attention to the context in which you read it and recognizing that every time you read it and, and the context is different, whether it's simply in your life or in our church or in the community, God's Word is going to take on fresh, fresh meaning. So follow. Keep your, keep your Bibles open, however you're accessing it, and we're going to start off reading the first five verses. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Melon and Chilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. You see the plot. It's always important, I 
was told, if I remember right from my English classes, you need to see the plot. And the plot is that a crisis develops in Bethlehem. It's a famine. And so they move to Moab. And Moab is just to the east uh, of the um, Dead Sea. And it is higher elevation. And it gets more rain. And so it is more reliable to produce crops. So it was a reasonable strategy when in the midst of a famine to move your family someplace where you could grow food. But the next crisis was the death of Elimelech. I'm not sure if it was a crisis for two men of Judah to take Moabite wives, but we'll, we'll kind of put an asterisk by that one. The next crisis was the death of the two sons, which led Naomi, which, by the way, means joy or pleasantness in Hebrew. Naomi decided she should return home, and she started back to Bethlehem. And her daughter-in-laws were accompanying her, and they came to a certain point, and Naomi turned to the two and said, I can't do this. You need to go home. We'll read that in just a minute, beginning in verse 8. But I want you to take note that in this, the structure of this book, we have been introduced to two people who take action that is comparable, Ophrah. And, they, and Ruth. So read with me in verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. What we didn't read was Naomi saying, look at me, I'm a dried up old woman. I'm not going to have any more sons. I'm not going to be able to produce new husbands for you, which was, would be my family's obligation. So here Naomi is in the midst of her grief. Can you imagine the catastrophe of being alone without husband and without sons? And you can't because you don't live in this culture in which she is now further isolated and desperate. And she has been caring for these two uh, daughters-in-law and even starts to go back home with them. And it is overwhelming to her. She will tell us that in just a moment. This is her crisis. But what is amazing is that this Judean woman is caring for these Moabites. We look over it because they're family. You do not understand the animosity that existed between these people. The readers of this book knew. You see, this, this story was in oral form for about 800 years and was presumed to be written just after the return from Babylon so that it could be passed around. And what was going on when they first came back from Babylon? Those of you in Sunday school class, remember what did Ezra do when he first got to Jerusalem? 
This is a test. Ezra told all those people that had married to non-Jewish women to get rid of their wives. So here's a counter voice. Some think the publication of the story of Moabite women blessed by God. That's why it could have been a crisis for the two boys to marry them. But they had experienced life-altering loss. But in the midst of that, Naomi didn't focus only on herself. She continued to make it possible for others to make good decisions. As you know, Orf is going to decide to take, or Orpha, I'm sorry, is going to decide to take her suggestion and return to her mother's house. Nothing wrong in that. It was a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Ruth took the extraordinary step to say to Naomi those words that we no longer hear any time other than in a wedding. And many times they're just sung to us about your people and my people, and where you go, I'll go, and where you die, I'll be buried. Remember those words? Are you guys paying attention? Oh, okay. That was spoken by a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. Amazing. So Ruth takes the extraordinary decision to travel on. And she says to Naomi, where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. Women in grief making extraordinary decisions. They reach Bethlehem. It's probably just a several-day walk. Um, because they had that long climb from Jericho up to Jerusalem and then down to Bethlehem. And you know how it is when you go back home and you've been gone a long time? Women on the street, they saw him walking down and they said, Naomi, is that you? Are you back? What did Naomi say? At the end of chapter 1. Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Don't call me joy any longer. Call me bitterness because my life is bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me. Some of us feel like that. We are not happy with the conditions of our life. Thank goodness most of us have not experienced the loss of Naomi. But Naomi expressed real emotion real concern, and she was bitter. But surprisingly, she makes good decisions in her bitterness. 
She thinks of others in her bitterness. And so Ruth, who is dealing with her own loss, but, but seeing the example of Naomi, comes to Naomi in her new role as a, a poor widow in a, in a place where she doesn't know anybody. And she says, I'm going to go out and do what poor widows are supposed to do. I'm going, it's the beginning of the barley harvest, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to gather up the gleanings, the things that are left along, excuse me, along the edge of the fields. That was, that was, that, that was the right thing to do. So now, Naomi had been taking care of her, and in the midst of all of this, she's taking care of Naomi. Now, as luck would have it, Elimelech, Naomi's husband's relative, was the one to which Ruth went. His name is Boaz. And Boaz is visiting his harvesters and, of course, takes notice of Ruth. Now, you may have heard that this was because she was extraordinarily attractive. We do not know that. That is just a guess or a fantasy. I'm not sure which, but it's, it's something that's being projected out there. What we do know and from Boaz's own mouth is that he knows about her reputation. It, word has already spread throughout Bethlehem that this Moabite is taking care of Naomi. Hasn't it been your experience that when people gossip, we gossip about stuff that isn't ordinary? Anyway, Boaz is heard. So he instructs his farmers to not only allow her to be there and protect her, not, not let anybody uh, lay a hand on her or, or cause them a problem, um, because farmers are are supposed to not glean to the edges, and they're supposed to not go over the field a second time, but he tells them to make sure that they drop a few of the bundles along the way so that she can pick it up. And if you think it's because she's attractive, you're mistaken. It's because she is taking care of Naomi. And he has a responsibility to take care of Naomi because he's a near relative of hers. Not the nearest, but a near relative. So here Boaz's words in verse 8 of chapter 2. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, Go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But boys answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that did not 
that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds. And may you have a full reward <coughs> from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And she said, may I continue to find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat of this bread, and dip your morsel in the sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he heaped up for her some parched grain. This is still the food of harvesters in, in the Middle East. She ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean even among the standing sheaves. Do not reproach her. You must also pull out some of the handfuls for her from the bundles and leave them for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So the story tells us that Ruth gets home and she's telling Naomi about the say and that it's Boaz. Now, you're going, would you, will you let me speculate? Beyond just review? Thanks. Wouldn't you think, I mean, you, you might think going home would help Naomi. But I kind of think it's the reverse that's likely to happen. She gets back to Bethlehem. Elimelech's not there. Her boys aren't there. She's 10 years older. Things have changed. And Ruth comes in. Now, you, you, you may not have this problem. Brenda and I, I'm, don't listen, Brian. Brenda and I don't like our children taking care of us. In fact, what we don't like is having to accept the fact that they have to take care of us for some things. We used to do that. That's our job. Never fear. Naomi's not finished yet. So she ponders these things in her heart. Remember that from someplace else in Scripture? Mary pondered these things in her heart. Okay? And so she thinks about this. Now, I, I, I wish we could pause for commercial so I could have flashed up here that this portion of the story is for mature audiences and parental discretion is advised. You did not know that the Bible is R rated, did you? I got news for you. If you read much of Genesis, you may find some X-rated stuff. Okay? All right, you've been warned. Naomi, chapter 3. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman Boaz. 
with these young women you have seen working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, all that you tell me, I will do. I am not going to spell out for you what uncovering one's feet means. Every good storyteller leaves things for the audience to interpret. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. Then Boaz had eaten and drunk, and he was in a contented mood. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came steadily, stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are our next of kin. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask, and for all the assembly of my pe- and for all the assembly of my people know that you are a woman, a worthy woman. Okay, we've met one pair that had to make a choice. We're about to meet a second pair. This is, one man is unnamed, and he is the kinsman redeemer for Naomi. Uh, the Greek word is goel. And it is exactly the, the, the pre-image of what Jesus would do for us, that he would redeem us. Because that was what the, new, the kinsman redeemer did. He redeemed. If, if I got poor and sold myself into slavery, it was his, my kinsman redeemer's job to bail me out. If I had to sell the family land, it was his respons- or her responsibility to buy it and get it back in the family. Kinsman redeemer. Boaz was not that person. He was a near relative. He was not the next relative. So they go to the city council and the city gates, which is the right thing to do. And at at that place, Boaz tells the kinsman redeemer the the, the, the full story. Naomi's selling a piece of land. And in the sale of that land, it's his responsibility to buy it, keep it in the family. The guy agrees. And you've got to think that Boaz has plotted this out and done this before. And it's his family member, so he knows him. Then, the, uh, then it drops. The shoe drops. Well, we're not going to talk about that part of the story, but read that. It does drop, actually. Um, Boaz says, oh, by the way, when you buy the land, you've got to marry Ruth. So that the family line of Elimelech can continue through her children. The guy says, well, now, wait a minute. I've got other plans that will mess up, so I can't do that. Boaz is then free. He offers to buy the land, marry Ruth, 
And, um, well, let's see what they say in verse 9. I think we're in chapter 4. Yes, chapter 4, 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have acquired the land the hand of Naomi, at the, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and that all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, to be my wife, to maintain the dead man's name and on his inheritance, in order that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his kindred and from the, and from the gate of his native place. Today you are witnesses. Then he is blessed by these people. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. I don't think I've read this verse. I know I have, but I've never really realized that I live with a woman like this. Can you imagine the joy and contentment of having a grandchild placed in your arms that you never expected? The woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is a rich piece of literature. This is rich scripture. It falls in the Deuteronomic tradition. Since we just finished it, I, I thought that was appropriate. Because Deuteronomy talks about a covenant between God and his people and between the people and each other. In this book, no one makes a bad decision. Even those who, who don't choose the, what we would consider the better or the more advantageous, um, the, the, the first near kinsman and Ophrah, they don't make bad decisions. This is a book that gives clear example of people living in shalom with each other. But it's an example of people that are doing that when their world is falling apart. When they have to make public decisions, they go and sit down with the officials, they talk it over, and they follow the right course of action. It occurred to me this week, this is the Old Testament equivalent of the Good Samaritan. You've got the unexpected foreigner 
who becomes the center of a story. But what you don't have from the, from the Good Samaritan is you don't have people making bad decisions. You don't have the, you know, uh, the priest going on the other side and not helping out the man who is wounded. No. Here in this place, people are making the proper choice. This is the way we're supposed to live with each other. That's the declaration of this book. This is the way we're supposed to live together. This is righteousness. This is people demonstrating righteousness in their living. This is what God intends for us. This is his purpose for us. Naomi's loss, her dejection, her agony, nothing diminishes the quality of the righteousness in her life. Would that that can be said for each of us. Life in Bethlehem didn't make it any easier for her. But she continued, even helping Ruth negotiate the transition to a new life. Who are we? What is the shape of our righteousness? Have we let the loss and frustration and the agony that's going on around us weaken our resolve to be God's people? You add that to this, the, the loss uh, that's ex been experienced by the lens moving to Florida. If you feel bitter, if you're angry, show your frustration. Just don't sin. If you are indeed a follower of Jesus, live like it. Do not give Satan a foothold by any inclination of unrighteousness. Now we're going to have a closing song in just a minute. And in that, I'm going to invite you to a time of decision. Which means you've got to be honest with yourself. <clears throat> You're not going to come up here. Um, we can't do that. I will be happy to pray with any of you afterwards. And if you're uh, joining us distantly and, and would like um, prayer support, please let me know this week. Call the office and we'll arrange it. Be honest with yourself because you are writing your own story. You and I are writing our own story. Just as Naomi and Ruth and all these people wrote this story by the way they lived their own lives and it came together. So, together, we need to be honest before God. So enter into a time of prayer while we sing the song. Be in an attitude of prayer, decision-making, and then we will close. Let's pray. Lord, we have come before you. We've worshiped in song. We've prayed. Some of us are going to give um, as we leave just now. We have brought before you ourselves. May we take what we've heard from you today 
and live it this week. May we be a blessing to others and may we be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.